What's up, everyone, at After Venture Podcast? I'm so excited to be here um, with Scott Bailey from uh, Path Projects. Um, I met Scott back in 97 when he hired me as an intern clothing. I remember I, I gave him my resume and I came in there and it was, a, it was a great day because the day I got hired was the day he, uh, the marketing director left uh, to go to Oakley. And so I was a marketing intern with no boss for about a month. And uh, Scott let me just sort of do my thing. And it, it was an amazing opportunity. And so uh, you guys are very lucky because Scott is very passionate um, about this new project, Path Projects in the Running World. This changer in the realm of action sports and apparel. We're excited. Uh, Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. Glad to be here. Awesome. So, Scott, let's sort of dive in. Uh, growing up, I, I like to take it back a little bit. Uh, were, I knew you, reading a few articles about you, you're you're very hard to find. You're like a mystery man. You're the most interesting man alive. Very mis mysterious. Where, where did you grow up at? In your article, you said small rural town, but where was that at? Well, I, I grew up in Antioch um, and Brentwood, that area uh, in Northern California. Uh, you know, late sixties, early seventies, when it was really a pretty isolated, small little town, um, a lot of blue collar, uh, steel mill on the river, um, you know, a cannery. It was very much like your rural blue collar town in the foothills of kind of, uh, foothills of Mount Diablo, Sierra is kind of surrounded by the Delta. So very kind of isolated, but a, a great place to grow up as a kid. Nice. So how was, um, I mean, you know, 60s, 70s growing up there, how was action sports? Really skateboarding, right? I'm assuming you weren't surfing up there, but really skateboarding and BMX, that played a role growing up in the area? Yeah. Um, I mean, there was only probably about five kids in my town that skated and um, I was one of them. And I just, you know, it was when urethane wheels had first started coming and sealed bearings and all the skate parks there was a skate park in Sac Sacramento and one in Oakland. So we'd get a couple of the older kids that had cars to drive us there and skate some of the ditches and skateboarding was a big part of it. And BMX too, because there was lots of dirt and we could build tracks. And then as I got a little older um, and saved that money, bought an old secondhand motorcycle and got into motocross. And those were kind of the three things that I was really into when I was a kid growing up. Awesome. And so fast forward, college life, uh, you ended up going to a Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Is that where, where you went to school? No, I didn't. I um, actually went to uh, a junior college for um, oh, okay. electronics, and then I went to San Jose. Um, San Jose. Yeah. So I went to San Jose, started working in the Silicon Valley for a startup engineering company um, that kind of went public while I was there. And got to, you know, I was basically a 20 year old kid um, working in the Silicon Valley and working for this company that went public and it had like the the um, highest stock return of any wow. company in, uh, in the stock market that year I was there and that was like uh, 1983 or something. So I uh, kind of got thrown into this world of really seeing how startup companies can take off and the owners getting there and buying pizza every night. And it was started by two Stanford engineers, um, professors who um, started the company. So it was, um, it was fun. And I did that for about three or four years. And then I ended up um, taking a job with a larger engineering company, TRW. 
and uh, moving to San Luis Obispo, that's where I met my first partners from Split, where they're going to college, and uh, started hanging out with them and skating with them. And then uh, I moved to Europe with TRW. So I moved to Europe for two and a half years and worked in Europe for TRW. So how was that jump going from working for this huge engineering firm and uh, you know working jumping ship from a, a true company that uh, huge jumps when it IPO came out? Then with TRW, and how did you make that transition? Right, I mean that that had to be a huge jump for you, leaving the engineering world where you're making some good money, living in Europe, making cash, and you all of a sudden say, "Hey, I'm going to stop and jump into one of the most riskiest business, other than restaurant business, apparel and apparel and action sports." Yeah, um, I always say if I knew what I was getting into, I probably wouldn't have done it. But <laughs> you know, when you're at the time, I was. Uh, about 27 and I had given um, Dave and Scott the guys who had started split some money to help them get going while I was in Europe and they had sent me pieces of paper back saying I was a stockholder in their company which didn't really mean anything but it made me <laughs> feel good and um, I had kind of moved back from Europe because I just kind of had that feeling that engineering wasn't for me I I liked the travel and I liked being out on the road but just the, I don't know, I just wasn't that into it. I, I It was one of those things where you, you know, you see people that are passionate about it and they go home and think about it and read about it and do all that, but it, that really wasn't me. So I, I moved back to try and figure out what I wanted to do next and I'd saved up a good amount of money. And, uh, and basically they asked me to go to the ASR trade show in San Diego and help them for, um, for a show and it was 1991 and I just moved back and I went to the show and we got a Japanese distributor and we got some, um, you know, things going and, you know, people were reacting to the brand and both those guys were working full-time jobs at other companies. Um, Dave was at vision oh, okay. streetwear and Scott was working at McDonnell Douglas and I was the one who wasn't working. And so they asked me to help. So I told them I would, um, moved to Southern California and helped them for a year. And oh, that's awesome. So you gave a one year commitment. Yeah. And that was 27 years ago. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And now you're, now you're here. So, so split clothing, like I said, that's where I first met you. Um, it, probably one of the first, and I know people may think I'm wrong, but it was probably one of the first, like really multi-sport apparel company in action sports. You know, uh, I remember skate BMX, uh, freestyle motocross you guys were into uh it, it was sort of crazy and how did you dive in for that one year what were the things that how you grew that company did you see that niche market did you uh, that how did you find that research to go through that next level well i think the one thing that we really did which you know i've learned a lot from was we just all dove in and there was no real business plan there was no real vision for it. It was kind of like whatever Dave was into, mostly who was kind of the creative force behind the brand and and whatever we were into. And and so the brand kind of changed around a lot, as you remember. Like in the beginning, it was, you know, it was action sports, but it had this music feel to it because Dave was really into music. And then it kind of got picked up by the whole music world because we were doing um, some stuff that was pretty forward fashion wise. Uh, but then we 
you know, we're into freestyle motocross that nobody was into. And then that blew up. So we became that company in freestyle motocross and BMX. People really weren't paying attention to it. So the brand, I think, broke a lot of barriers and did a lot of different things. But at the same point, it was um, it was a little all over the place, (laughs) which in some ways was good. In some ways we kind of learned from, there was no really solid business plan of like, this is what we want to be. This is what we're always driving towards. It was always kind of influx and moving around. Um, You know, we started the women's line, which did really well. Um, And it it, had the kids line as well, right? The youth line. Yeah, I mean, it did really well. It just, um, it was just one of those brands that, um, hit with a certain person and and it was interesting uh, just a week ago I was talking to someone in um, Bobby hundreds um, from the hundreds and he was telling me how like split was one of those yeah. brands that kind of influenced him to start the hundreds when he was a kid and oh, wow so I, and I, I never knew that so it, it, it was a it, I was definitely learned by fire we made a lot of mistakes we you know learned as we went nobody knew what we were doing and we just tried to get better and better and not make the same mistake twice which was really what kept us going in the right direction awesome uh, was it hard 11 years later to uh, i know you started crew right was another apparel line really and that focus on denim correct me if i'm wrong but was it hard to sell split 11 years later that baby you started and, and move on to the next adventure or did you just feel it was it was the right time um, it wasn't really our decision. Um, kind of what happened was, is that we were doing all of our production in the U S and at the time, uh, probably in the mid nineties, uh, production was all moving overseas and we really didn't have the resources to move it overseas. So we kind of hooked up with the strategic partner, um, a public company out of Hong Kong called glorious sun. And they ended up buying 51% of the company. And uh, and they really helped us grow those um, last three years of the company that we had it. So we went from being like a $6 million company to like a $25 million company. Wow. Um, really by having some resources and being able to do it. But what happened was we got it to a certain size and they took it over because <laughs> they had 51%. Uh, okay. So they, they did... Um, they didn't actually buy it. We had a licensing agreement and it really worked out well long-term, but it kind of gave me the opportunity to leave um, and start something new uh, and do it a second time. And I think do it in a better way with a better plan with um, a new partner, uh, Angel, when we started uh, One Distribution and really wrote the business plan for Crew. So kind of took everything we learned and. Um, put it into something new with a new direction and a better plan and more experience and um, had a lot more success the second time. So what were some of those things that you felt truly made a, uh, a huge impact on that, on crew and and Supra with one distribution? What were some of the, the key things that you learned from Split that you are gonna like, this is what we're gonna implement in this company. Other than you mentioned, definitely have a business plan, right? Have that, yeah. have something dialed in. But are, was there any other key things that that always stand in the back of your mind? Well, I think I think it's that, um, you know, it's like I said, it was having a clear vision of what the brand was, really doing a survey of, of where the opportunity was in the market. And for us, we felt like that 
skate was setting all the trends, but there was no skate brand that was actually able to ship and make great product and capitalize on it. Um, Element was just starting to do that, but there wasn't really anybody out there that was pure skate and really taking a skate point of view. So, um, you know, it's finding that niche. It's um, having your structure and your infrastructure set up and manufacturing and everything so that you can ship right. And, and, um, and for us, we had, you know, with my experience and Angel's experience, we kind of had the retailers, uh, they looked at us as being a really credible resource when we came out, someone they could invest into. So the retailers invested into us. We, you know, Angel put together an awesome team and probably some of the best skaters ever in the world and most influential. And, um, and then we, we continued to, to push the market and set trends with coming out with like the skinny denim when nobody had men's skinny denim at the time and kind of set almost like a, a world, you know, we kind of influenced the whole fashion world for men in what we did with that crew denim back then. And, uh, so that, that was kind of what made the difference. And, and, you know, six years into that, we really realized that none of our skaters wanted to wear bulky, ugly skate shoes. So we wrote the business plan for Supra, which wasn't just action sports, but hitting a larger market for that. And and that, you know, we went from, you know, almost building a hundred million dollar brand with Supra. Um, yeah. So how was that getting into the footwear? I mean, that, that has to be intimidating, right? With you know, you, I mean, you go to most skate shops and you saw the DCs and the Etnies and so forth, right? You, the big bulky shoes, um, Nike was trying to jump in, you know, later on, but that has to be sort of an intimidating market to get into, or at least an expensive market to get into. Yeah, it was, um, well, we were lucky because at the time it wasn't as expensive as it is now. The barriers of entry weren't as difficult when we started. Um, you know, minimums of shoes per color was about 250 pair, which now it's about 2000 pair. Um, wow. Because of cost of labor and in China and things like that. So at the time we kind of got in at the right time, but, um, you know, again, it was just kind of, I think the big thing is really trying to find out where there's a void in the market. And we just felt like there was this huge void in the market, um, for making a better quality shoe that people wanted to wear when you're not doing the sport, but actually like a lot of fashion and angel was really um, kind of a master at that and knew how to get it on the right people. And, you know, when Kanye West showed up wearing it or, you know, Jay-Z or Heidi Klum, then it suddenly, you know, legitimizes something out there. Yeah. That has to be great. I mean, just, yeah, I, I just felt when I, you know, heard that you guys were doing Supra and I remember it going through and then, like you said, all of a sudden I saw it on eHollywood, you know what I mean? People rocking your shoes and it went from, but you, you know, I don't know, like what you said, like you had such a core skate team that loved it, that gave you um, credibility in that. And then you also had the hype of, you know, the people in Hollywood, the musicians and everything where. And I just remember it blowing up all of a sudden. I'm like, oh my, that's Bailey's company. I remember that. It was crazy. Yeah, it was exciting. Definitely. So, you know, you, you've been an active person since I know you. I remember, you know, after you hired me, I think the next day we surfed together. And then um, I remember you did uh, sales meetings in, uh, up in Canada to go snowboarding when you were with Split. Um, so you've always been active. And then all of a sudden, 
your designer Eric at an event and he starts talking to me about a trail running company, a running company. And I looked on yeah, we're we're starting, you know, Bailey's starting a new company. Um this new this new project. You're 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 leaving action sports and skate and now you're diving into a whole different niche of of trail running and running. Your passion for running come about and how did Path Projects uh was developed. Yeah, it was an um, interesting transition, but I, um, you know, being the CEO of One Distribution and we had offices in Europe and Australia and China, and it was a lot of traveling, whether you're meeting distributors, going to trade shows or going to the other offices. And, um, you know, for me, snowboarding and skateboarding were things that I was still doing a lot and trying to stay in shape so you can do those sports. Running was one of those things where I would just do casually, you know, run a couple miles, two miles here, three miles there, and but not never really serious. And, uh, you know, I just had a friend who um, she was doing, it was one of my wife's friends and it was her birthday party. And she said, I'm going to do a half marathon. Does anybody want to do it? I, I said, yeah, I'll do it. I never thought about doing it, but I'll, I'll do it. So the next day I got my shoes on and started running and, and it was a lot harder than I thought, you know, going from a three or four miles to being able to run 13 miles really took me probably about 18 months. Um, because I started having shin splints and different issues and I wasn't, you know, built up for that. And, uh, but I kept committed to it. And, uh, about eight, uh, the run she wanted me to do was six months after she said it, but it took me about a year, maybe a little over a year before I actually ran a half marathon. And I did it and I loved it. And um, I did another one three months after that and another one two months after that and was trying to beat my time and kind of got addicted and I started kind of run commuting home from work. I had like a six mile run from my office to home and and uh, and I really got into it, and and then I started training on trails just because it was less, um, you know, I found it less impact on my body, and it mm-hmm. and I really started loving trails and kind yeah, of yeah, trails don't have stoplights or cars, which are the yeah, best thing. and just being outdoors, and um, so I kind of transitioned into that, and I didn't run any trail races, but kind of my whole thing was when I was traveling somewhere, I would look to where I was going. If I was going up to Seattle for a meeting, I would look at the national parks up there, some find some places I hadn't been to, look at the rainforest, you know, find a trail, figure out, okay, it's a 26-mile trail, and, you know, what's the elevation change, and how do I have to train for it, and what do I need to bring, and it would kind of be this whole little adventure of planning a run training for it, going up there, doing it, and um, and then moving on to the next one. So that was kind awesome. of what I was doing. And that was kind of like, I was doing that the last few years at, at One Distribution, kind of really into these little more extreme runs in different places. And at that point, it was kind of like all, everything that kind of came together was everything I knew about product and everything I was frustrated with my running product. Like I could find great shoes, I could find socks that I loved. I found great backpacks for these runs. Um, you know, shirt was okay, but really the shorts were just, I thought they were terrible. You know, yeah. I thought the materials were bad. 
I thought the pocket configurations were terrible. Um, they were just really, and I, and I went on this kind of search to find a good short and I couldn't find it anywhere. And that was kind of like, well, it's funny you mentioned that I either lose my key or, or I put my phone in my water backpack and my water, like my bag breaks and I lose my phone. Right. Like those were my biggest fears. So shorts are probably the most important thing. I feel like sometimes when you, when you ran. Right. And so you, you weren't happy with your shorts, right? Um, yeah. How did that sort of start designing? Like, did you start doing that research? Talk to other runners? Like, hey, these shorts give me a rash, or these shorts ride up. Uh, walk me through that sort of market research on on that product development. Well, I mean, as you know, or anybody that runs, you have a lot of time to think while you're running, and if, if things are in your pockets and they're rattling while you're running, it's bothering you, and. I would always have to pack like a, a little kind of like the running type of um, auxiliary carrying packs that you put around your waist to keep my phone in because then it wouldn't bounce and it wouldn't be where my keys were or my, you know, I had to run with like four things when I was running home from work, which was, you know, a credit card, the key to my office, the flob for the building and my phone. And I couldn't keep those in my shorts, so I'd have to carry like an auxiliary pack. And I always thought it was stupid that I couldn't because you have all the room in your short to do it, but it, you couldn't. And then also the whole aspect of like running on some of these runs and rainforests and things like that, my shorts would just instantly start soaking up water, which they don't have to with the right nylons. And uh and, you know, not to mention just rashes from like different, you know, the weird types of um, liners that shorts have. And, you know, they just the way they were made in the seams in the wrong places and the chafing and all those things bothered me. And I just couldn't figure out why no one was doing it. And and I started realizing that how I would do it and what I would do it. And 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 it was running it through my head, which. You know, that was probably about a year process of kind of just building what the shorts would be like, what the brand would be like, what type of materials. And it was really just building the whole business plan in my head while I was running. And and I did that for, you know, more than a year. Awesome. When you guys actually came up with your first design and you got your shorts, was it by companies like by Nike and Under Armour or you know for running or did you feel there was like a small niche of these like more smaller runner brands are making a, a I want to say more of authentic and everyone uses that word so general but more just of an authentic impact with with runners because runners are definitely a unique they're unique people right they're very you know my wife's a runner I've done some um, triathlons and a half Ironman and did trail running definitely really unique how how did that sort of come come to play for for you it's like hey we're gonna, gonna battle the big dogs yeah you know um the whole thing I, I came up with really what the product need to be and from my business experience i knew that it's if you have great product and even though there's a need for it in the market because i had a lot of friends that were runners that would you know just tell me how frustrated they were with their running product, like how they hated their shorts. And if I saw them wearing it, I'd laugh at them what they were wearing. So I knew there was a market, but the big hole for me was there was no place to sell it. Like I, I knew from my experience that you can have great product, but if you don't have the right retail people to sell it, 
it won't work. So, and I knew that sporting goods stores wouldn't understand it. Like they put product on rolling, you know, it's rounder racks. It's basically all the shoes that they carry. They buy their apparel. Um, there's nobody in the store that really knows what they're selling. It's not a professional type environment, but they buy the majority of, that's where the majority of running people shopped. And that's where I shopped to get my running shorts. So you go to a sport chalet or something like that. Um, and then the running stores that were running specific really focus on shoes and yeah. all the great running stores I went into and asked them about clothing. They would say, well, we really don't know what to buy and it ends up on this rack and it usually all goes on sale. And, you know, we got all kinds of different customers so we don't really know what to buy. So really for me, it's like I knew what the brand would be and I knew the, what the product would be, but I really hesitated from doing it because I couldn't figure out who would actually sell it. Um, and uh, is that how you jumped into the direct to consumer? Yeah, that was it. So right after I sold my company, a little before that, I started looking at, um, you know, some brands that were out on the market and it was more from a fashion standpoint, seeing brands that were creating real brands and direct to consumer and being this real, um, having this real open, uh, dialogue of like, this is where we make our product. This is how much it costs. There's a single markup being really transparent with their consumers about what they do. Um, and that's where I thought like, wow, maybe this is the answer. Um, but I was just trying to explore that. And right after I sold my company, I kind of told my wife I need to get away because I, I needed to go clear my head. And I kind of packed up my car and put my mountain bike and all my trail running stuff. And I um, headed up north and I went to San Luis Obispo and went trail running and mountain biking, visited some friends, went to Big Sur for a few days, did some runs. And when I got up to the Bay Area, I hooked up with a friend of mine that I went to college with. And um, I started telling him my idea. We were just having drinks on his balcony, uh, on his back porch and talking about it. And he said, oh, like QU. And I said, well, what is QU? And he said, oh, it's this hunting brand. They make the best hunting gear and it's all consumer direct. And he went and got a catalog and he showed it to me. And I'm like, oh my God, this is it. You know, this is the model. And that was kind of like an aha moment where I saw like these beautiful photography and the guy just had like this cult following. And my friend said, yeah, as soon as the product comes out, it sells out. Like you can buy a $500 jacket for $250 and it's the best product you've seen. And so that was kind of like, for me, the moment of like, oh, this is how I do path. This is the model. I'm going to go direct to consumer. I'm going to make the best fabrics and I'm going to cut out the markup and make better product at the same price as the stuff that's out there now. So um, that was kind of the aha moment where the idea and the vision kind of met the business model of how to do it. So um, that was pretty much took us another year and a half to develop the product and to. So that brings up sort of my next point. So when you go to direct to consumer and you, and you've seen Scott from when you first started split to, to when you sold your last company and how e-commerce plays a huge role and how social media has now played a huge role where they have that, your customer has that direct, um, interaction with you as a, as a business, how is the marketing change now from going, from a company that you've owned to now doing a company with direct to consumer, did it, did it change dramatically how you're going to market this product because you, you're not getting into retail stores, you're going directly to the consumer? 
Yeah, it's um, completely different. Um, I think building a brand is the same, that you have to have a clear brand vision. You have to have great product. You have to have, you know, all those things that build a great brand. You have to have those same things, but how you connect with your consumer. Usually when you start a brand at a wholesale, the idea is you go meet with retailers that, that are the best retailers and you sell them on the vision and what you're doing. So you're really just going after, you know, maybe a hundred key retailers. Um, and if you get those hundred retailers to buy in or 25 of them or 50 of them, then you're really kind of turning it over to them and you can launch through that and it can work. So the difference with consumer direct is, you know, you build the product and you have to order the product and build it and get it in a warehouse and then you go market it you know, and not just to one person or a hundred people, you're, you're going after millions and trying to get people to your website and learn about the brand. And it, it's, it's through multiple ways, you know, we're doing it through, um, through grassroots by like finding the right people and ambassadors that really believe in the product and using their social media through using a PR company that, you know, knows the brand story and is telling it to media and getting media to do articles on you and interviews. And, um, and it's also just through, uh, through just the standpoint of doing kind of that all, all kinds of like different events and just getting your name out there and, and whatever other ways, like we're doing some partnerships with some, you know, trail run, trail runner nation and things like that. But for us, it's really, it's not so much, it's about finding people that really believe in the brand and the product, and it's not just giving money to people. So um, again, I think it's a lot of the things that I learned from other brands. It's like to make it authentic, you have to make good product and the people you partner with have to truly believe in what you're doing and believe in the brand. And that's how you kind of build credibility with people rather than just writing checks. Um, so it's totally different. It's a lot harder I think it's going to be a much harder road to get brand awareness and get people talking about it. But I think once you have them connected, you you don't have to worry about that retailer going out of business or putting someone else in front of you. You control your own destiny once you get it rolling. Awesome. You talk. You just mentioned brand awareness, and you know you mentioned events, and and you take that runner out. Uh, any events or opportunities that you are doing right now to try to create that brand awareness? Well, we're just um, signed a deal to do um, marketing with Trail Runner Nation, which um, does a podcast that has, you know, thousands of people that listen to it every week. And they've awesome. been doing it for a lot of years. And um, and we got them product and they ran in it and they loved the product. And basically they said, you know, we don't really support any brands that we don't really believe in. So, you know, we're going to be doing it through their podcast. And then we're looking at right now a race series that has um, 17 different trail races around the United States. So about being a sponsor for 2018 with them, which will really be like getting brand awareness and the race guides and different things and getting some product on some people because they all run and uh, and doing some things like that. But we're really doing that and then we're just doing videos so we're starting to make product videos we just did like a a shoot up on the um pacific crest trail where we took like three or four guys that are, are really good runners and we did like a day of just going out and running together and filming it 
you know, with drone and regular footage, but just kind of creating these videos. Some are kind of behind the scenes of kind of camaraderie and what it's like to go out running and, and just make people kind of excited about going out and running. Yeah, I saw that. The, the drones have uh, changed the game when it comes to and social media, right? For that, for that photography perspective. And and you live in a great place, obviously. Uh, you know, my back door is GMR and Chantry Flats and and stuff like that. It's a, it's a glorious thing and being in SoCal, and you can pretty much in a thirty minute drive get to at least some kind of trail to run. Yeah, yeah, we're doing. We got some really fun things planned, and it, it's a lot of things. I mean, when you're doing something you really enjoy, it's not really work so the idea of like putting together a run um me and another guy are going to start a run uh this spring we're going to do the uh, pct from the mexico border up to mojave so we're going to break it over a few days um but kind of film it and kind of just take that challenge of like what it's like to do that um and what you see and things like that so i think it's you know a lot of fun and and it's a it test product and, you know, the, the one thing that we're trying to do with PATH, which I think is a little different is we're trying to kind of build a community where there's product feedback. So, you know, whenever you get a box of clothes that you order it, it basically has our, our, our text and our number on it. So, you know, we ask for feedback, we ask for interaction, we want, you know, people to write reviews about the product, make videos about the product. Um, and kind of make it be more of like a, um, you know, like where you're part of the brand and, right. and you feel a connection to it. And you can always text us and tell us, you know, what you like. We've got some really great ideas for things from people like, oh, you know, just certain things that frustrated them about it. And we're like, yeah, we'll check it out. We'll test it and come up with a solution for you or see, you know, there's, I think it's kind of a little bit about trying to make a brand that's inclusive to people and not, it's not about um, trying to get the best runner in the world. You know, I feel like the athletic company model is kind of like get the best runners or best athletes, put them in your staff and then sell stuff to people who don't really do the sport. So you can make like subpar product. I, yeah. I feel like they kind of highlight the best in the world, but they're kind of, targeting product to the people that do it once or twice and then give it up or kind of want to look the part rather than the people that are out there really um, doing the sport. So that's where I kind of feel like we're different is we're trying to make really amazing product, but not big logos, not, you know, paid athletes. It's more like we want to be kind of the gold standard of running apparel, but do it in a way that's affordable and kind of inclusive whether you run five miles or run an ultra it's going to be your favorite product well and that's what i sort of realized just you know getting into fitness it's when you find a really good product and it really fits you well and it and it you know helps you out um you're gonna pay a, a good price for it, a fair price you know what i mean it, i feel like some people buy items because of a certain logos on it and pay a lot of money and it it you know it doesn't help them or it doesn't feel comfortable for them so that's that's the great thing. I, I love about your stuff. I did try it. Uh, it did work well. I was very excited. I do have a squat thighs. I, you know, thick thighs when I run, but it's great, but uh, it's a, it's a good thing. And it's always, it's always great to find a good pair of shorts to run in. And you know what I mean? It's like to the point where you constantly wash them and they fade out after a while because you run in them so much. So that's, that's, I'm excited for your brand. Um, yeah. Can we jump into a few things about you personally, Scott, you know, just some things you've learned over the past, 
in the realms of business and leadership. You know, you've, like I said, you, you started Split and then Crew and Supra, and you, you've been in the mix with guys like Kane, uh, Kanye West and Jay-Z wearing your stuff, and now you're going after that true, authentic runner, right? The guy you see on Strava doing a drill, and you want to see how fast his time is. Was it, is it hard to go from, I don't know, the Hollywood to now the, to, to the runner? Or what, what have you sort of learned about yourself as a leader, if I can jump into that? that you've learned and has helped you grow? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that, I think the back end of a company and the way a company runs, no matter how you're marketing or what you're doing is is pretty consistent. Where, you know, I think company culture, which I've learned is, is kind of the most important thing of like, you know, making sure that the people you hire and the people that work for you and the people that are part of your company, um, understand the culture and they buy into it and it's what they believe in because I just feel like if you bring in people that have a different culture or different values or are into different things then your, your whole company changes because they're part of the company so I, I really feel like that um, understanding what the vision is what the culture is what the goals are um, kind of making everybody be a part of it and an owner and and buying into what you're doing um, really makes a successful company and and that's where i feel like you know lucky to have worked in companies that were large and you know and uh even now i'm on the board of directors for a, um, a public company that has you know tens of thousands of employees but their company culture is so strong that it, it makes them a winner and and they've had that company culture for 40 years so you know seeing all that has really helped shape me um, in what we're doing and how we're doing it. And and I think that the reality is people, you know, the world is changing and there's, you know, Amazon is going to own commodities and what commodities are, but having true brands that are real and that people, you know, are into and becomes part of their life is important. And, and that can only be done by, you know, it being real. And, and that's where, where, where I think it's, that's what I've learned. And, and, it, you know, and it always changes like business is constantly changing and you can't do something and set it up and think this is what I'm going to do forever because the rules change and things change. And I, I think the big part that I've learned over my years is like you, you have to be willing to change the way the market's changing and to be flexible and how you do things your brand has to stay the same and your message and your values but how you're actually um, how you're actually executing things has to constantly change and evolve to keep up awesome awesome well I really truly appreciate you being on after venture you know like I said um, man we, we go back since like 97 so I'm you know I'm very excited uh, to see your growth and you know just let me just to praise you for a second man you have, were a huge mentor towards me. I remember hiring me, and then when I left Split, and I've used those things I've learned from you and, and Mark Sperling, and I've taken it into the realm of education and now teaching sports marketing. Um, my classes jumped on you know your social media, and we've looked at your company and seen it grow now. And um, branding is actually our topic uh, for one of our classes, and it's it's been a great thing using you as an example. So thank you so much. Um, a big thing, how can people get a hold of uh, your company? How Path Projects, where are we at? Uh, we're at Path Projects with an S, um, 
.co. It's not .com, but it's .co, which uh, is another story we're trying to do. <laughs> so it's pathprojects.co. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at pathprojects and Facebook also. And uh, yeah, it's a great place. Connect with us, be part of the community, give us feedback. And uh, and uh, it'd be the more people we have, I think the more fun it's going to be. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being on the After Venture Podcast. We're definitely excited and, and we wish you the best of luck with the new company. Thanks, Sean. It was great. There you have it. Episode four of season two with Scott Bailey of Path Projects. Truly hope you enjoy this episode. And thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this on your social media. Go on your iTunes app and definitely give us a five-star ranking if you can. And hey, thanks for sticking around. I know it's been a while since I released an episode. I've been slammed on some other projects. But man, After Venture Podcast is definitely close to my heart. And I love interviewing leaders and entrepreneurs and motivators, athletes. So once again, share this. Hopefully you got something out of this podcast. A big shout out to Scott, Path Projects, follow him, and it's going to be a great thing. So until next time, peace. <laughs>